0: Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hi, everybody. This is David, and welcome to Podcast 33 of the Safety Doc Show. How The famous robber's cave experiment defines the Taurus and self-similarity. We have a little bit of a thunderstorm going on right outside of the safety dock studios. So might hear a little bit of rumbling in the background, but I think it's going to move through pretty quickly. I recently returned from a family vacation up in Door County, Wisconsin, go-karts, uh, we also did the Canna Island Lighthouse. You can look it up. C-A-N-A, Canna Island Lighthouse. It's a lighthouse on Lake uh, Michigan and uh, was built in 1868. Took a um, tractor uh, pulling a, a wagon, kind of like a hay wagon ride. There, there's, a, there's a passageway, a stone passageway to get to the island from the mainland, but that's, that's underwater right now. Lake Michigan's been high the last couple of years. So um, we took this this uh, tractor ride over, and then climbed up the uh, all of the steps of the circular cast iron um, stairway to the top of the lighthouse, and we're able to go out on the little observation deck, which which goes around it, take a look at Lake Michigan, then come down and of course get some family photos. Uh, very fun fun time up in Door County. Just a, a relaxed pace. It was kind of funny because uh as, before we went up, the weather forecast was, oh, it's going to be raining and it's going to be windy and it's going to be cold. And we did get a little bit of rain, but it was very nice weather. We couldn't have asked for better weather really up there. We got to do everything that we wanted to do. So um, so we really were fortunate in that regard. A couple of funny anecdotes. Um, I do have a a cross, a crucifix that I wear. Um, I've worn for a number of years. Was, it was a gift uh, to me. Um, it's very old, um, and is constructed out of iron nails. And I did have a jeweler work to, um, kind of reconfigure it, recraft it, make it more durable. And what's happened is, uh, the, the nails are starting to rust a little bit. Okay. So I took it back and I said, is there any type of sealant, any shellac or anything we can put on this? And, and he said, well, you know, you could always oil it and that would keep it from, from rusting. And now it's not a significant rust. It's not like I have a, a rust pattern on my chest or it ruins my clothes or anything like that. But I said, uh, okay, like oil, like, like a three in one oil or whatever, like a little squirt of WD-40. He's like, yeah, that, that would do it. And I'm thinking, Oh, like, no, no, I'm not going to oil jewelry that I wear. I can just imagine every shirt that I would own then would have a, a oil stain in the middle of it. So, um, I'm like, no, I'll, I'll deal with it until I come up with a better plan. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's probably going to outlast me. Um, I think this thing is, is, uh, perhaps hundreds of, of years old, at least the nails. Um, they're, they're not, they're the, the old square nails. Um, but anyway. Kind of a funny story because I mean, as he's telling me this, I'm thinking, "Dude, would you actually do this though? If this was yours, <laughs> would you dip this thing in oil like every morning and wear it to to preserve it just a little bit longer?" I'm thinking probably not. Uh, but anyway, he did a, a tremendous job um, with with the putting it all all together. Um, and initially, when it was given to me, it was, was bound together with with um, uh, woven um, together with thread. So. Uh, I I hadn't thought about this for a while, but um, we were up on vacation, of course, all the, the different gift stores in, in Door County, very famous for, you know, very unique gifts, um, places from around the world. Um, reminded me a little bit of, of Disney when we were at Epcot, but we were at Animal Kingdom in Disney, and there was a, a man um, who was dressed in African native garb, which I would assume – um, I've never been to Africa, so, I mean, it looked African, and he kind of had his little hut stand set up. Um, and he, he's carving a piece of wood, um, and all around he has this display of, of different types of, of animals that he's carved. So actually I have two. I bought a hippo, per the recommendation of my daughter. I also bought an eagle. Um, and I like both of them. I have them in front of me right now. They're very nice to look at. Um, but as, as, as I saw this, and I saw this man, I, it kind of, it just, it, it is, Disney does such a wonderful job of placing you in, in the illusion of being in a specific environment and a specific time. Um, you know, I, 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 I didn't realize it until, you know, just a few days ago thinking, you know, who I bought this from? Now, the guy was super nice. But the reality is, you know, underneath his, his native garb, he, he probably had on his Nikes and, <laughs> You know, like an Adidas t-shirt or something like that. When his, when his day was done, he probably, you know, got in, got in his Camry, uh, went to Kissimmee, um, you know, threw something in the microwave, was watching, you know, watching some TV and whatever. It's like this guy didn't go back to like his, his hut in Africa, you know, that night. This was Disney Orlando. Okay. So, um, but I, I just got a kick out of that because again, I didn't, you know, you don't realize that at least you, you get kind of so, um, captured into the moment and, and especially also Epcot. Um, Disney again does a wonderful job of providing, you know, the, these replicas of different, um, you know, these, these mini miniaturized replicas of maybe a few city blocks of this is, you know, this is China, this is Norway and whatever. Um, and of course, you know, it, it, it's the extremes of what those would, would, would be to really try to expose you to some different cultures. Um, but you know, the reality is—is is, yeah, these people all—I'll all go home when the when the day is done, you know, and, and probably you know, change into their jeans and, and their running shoes and and uh, do things, you know, just like any of us would do. So it's just it's it's role playing. Um, nothing nothing wrong with that. Uh, but but again, it was something like I, I bought these because of the authenticity in them. These two wooden things, and I'm like, I'm not even sure that this guy actually made these. He might just be there every day, like putting a few, you know, with, with, with his little doll knife, you know, putting a, a, a few little marks in this piece of wood that looks like he's carving it because, you know, no one's going to be watching it from start to finish. And maybe he did. Maybe he carved all these things in it. And if he did, he, he certainly has quite a level of talent. So um, I, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, just, again, the how our environment can – in our expectation, my expectation – your expectation is to see that and then the environment closely matches that. That's what you see, you know, cause like, um, the, uh, animal kingdom is made to be so close to, um, you know, what uh, an outsider's perception would be of Africa. Um, you know, so when you go there, the signage and, and how everything is, is, is laid out and, and even the weathering of things and stuff like that. But, um, so anyway. Hey, we're going to get into some intellectual stuff because, you know what? You guys are awesome. I had the best analytics ever for the Safety Doc Podcast. Um, Of course, a big part of that goes to our guest last week, Aaron Clary, um, who spoke uh, very directly on his book, Reconnaissance Man, and uh, Poor Richard's Retirement, um, his latest essay, both available on Amazon.com. Um, and Aaron also, um, making sure that the news of our, of our interview was circulated throughout his community and he has a rather, uh, robust following. Uh, but hey, um, the analytics continue to look great. We're going to set a record. We've already shattered a record for impressions in a month, um, on Twitter for, um, downloads, you know, for the podcast. And all of the formats, you know, we're, do, we're doing great. We we shattered, you know, what anything we've done on SoundCloud so far. It's just continuing to grow. So stay with me, and, and I promise, um, maybe not every episode is going to resonate with you, but I think parts of episodes are going to resonate with you, especially the guests that we have lined up. And I'm getting to ask, um, I'm being asked on a lot of shows, too. I'm doing a show Monday and then a show later uh, next week also. Um, so actually Monday I'm going to be, um, uh, I don't have that readily available before me. So, which just says I'm doing a lot of shows right now, um, and, and talking and starting to talk about the book that I'll be, um, having come out through Roman, a little field lessons at Lord Manhattan, talking about the 9-11, um, 2001 boat rescue of Lord Manhattan. Um, and and just a number of things related to uh, safety and, and agency and purpose and things like that. So today, though, again, how the famous Robbers Cave experiment defines the torus and the self-similarity. It sounds a little overwhelming on the surface. Let me break it down for you again. You are the exceptional listener, okay? You want to learn about you know terminology, expand your vocabulary you know, come into these power conversations with your, with your, with your friends, with your colleagues and, and be able to, to use these, these different terms and then to reflect upon them about how they impact your own personal safety and impact your own uh, life. So um, let's talk about Taurus. Okay. Taurus, T-O-R-U-S, Taurus. Um, real world examples of a toroidal object. Okay. It would be like an inner tube or a bagel. So just think of, of like a bagel being round, not really having a big center but being round, okay? In three-dimensional being round. That's a torus. So I'm going to explain what what this really means, okay? So, when you function within the torus, which most of us do most of the time, okay? What it means to function within the torus. And and this is this is a scientific, this is a research term. But most of our lives function within a torus. So let's say though I, I drew a circle on a piece of paper. I traced a circle on a piece of paper. so it's one it's one dimensional it's that circle. So that is not a, a, a torus because there is no variation that you're going to have within that circle. you have to stay within that circle. Now if you have a, that bagel, let's talk about that bagel. There's room inside that bagel. So if you're traveling in a circle inside of that bagel, you can kind of go a little bit up, a little bit down, a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. You know, so every time, you know, if you, if, if you're just going around in that bagel, every time you go around might be a little bit different, but you're still getting back to kind of your, your start, you hit your end point, start end point. But if it's a straight line, I mean, it's very rigid. Like it's there, it, there, there can't be any variance from that. So a Taurus is, is again think of it as a bagel and we're gonna get I'm gonna give you a very specific example so you can understand what a Taurus is. But your life your life operates within a Taurus, hopefully because if it doesn't operate in a Taurus um, it operates with a with out outside of that and with an, with a lot of chaos. Um and I'm gonna talk about this in a different podcast, but we do know that people can only tolerate chaos, living in a chaotic environment uh, for so long, and for soldiers, a study since World War One, there was a soldier um, or a study done by a researcher named Apple A P P E L. That again will be the focus for another uh, podcast. Um, but basically, even you know the most um, field um, weathered, you know prepared soldier can last you know about 200 days of continuous combat and that's it like that's that's it like couldn't make it any longer than that either is going to be you know killed or is just going to you know cognitively lose it and and maybe um, you know be unable to function but it's about where the limit lies. so again within a Taurus, most of us, most of us function within this torus. I'll talk about this a little bit more. Give some examples on that. Um, so an outcome basin, an outcome basin. You're like, Dave, terminology, come on. It's crazy, buddy. Well, I'm only going to give you a feel. Okay. Taurus, outcome basin, outcome basin. If you're in a Taurus, then we can say um, it's predictable, okay? It's predictable. Um, so if you're if you're functioning within this Taurus, if you're, if you're inside of this bagel and you have to get from – the stop you know the the you're stopped at the top of the bagel and you have to work your way around through the inside of the bagel back up. That's predictable that you're going to get back in there as long as you stay kind of within that bagel. Um, if something is beyond the Taurus and we can say it's not patterned or predictable and hence this marks the entering of chaos. So if something completely happens, it throws you out of this 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 Taurus, this three dimensional um like on nine eleven, the attacks on the nine eleven towers threw people out of their Taurus. You know, um, a Taurus for a lot of people, and I talked to Dr. Paul Rapp, and we'll transcribe that uh, discussion I had with him. But, you know, that would have been you get up in the morning, you expect to get on the, the subway, you know, you're going to stop at your Starbucks on your way, you know, into your office, you know, on a on, on one of the floors, you're gra- going to grab your things, get up to your office, Open up your bag, take your things out, fire up your computer. That's all within the Taurus, okay? Now, you know, that that's all within the three-dimensional Taurus, meaning, you know, you're not going to be on the subway on the same exact subway car every day in the same place. You're not going to arrive at the same minute to work. The coffee cup isn't going to be filled to the same height, to the, you know, every single day. It's not going to be maybe the same temperature, the same people in the elevator, the same you know, thing that's going to be going on at work the same day. So you do have variations within the Taurus, but generally you know that you get up in the morning, you're going to be transported to work, you're going to arrive there approximately the same amount of time, you kind of know what the expectations are so um again that's that's that outcome basin once you're in the torus that that you you kind of know what what generally to expect you know so it's like coming coming down this big water slide, shoop, and then you fly out the end and you end up in the water. you can kind of expect that that's where you're going to be that's that's your outcome basin so um self similarity okay self similarity the simplest nonlinear system is the torus okay so um Again, non, non-linear because just that line on a paper would be linear. There's no variation. But the simplest non-linear system is a torus. It has one loose but stable outcome basin. So, again, let's think of that. You get up in the morning. You're going to go to work. So, you know, you have some kind of breakfast. You do through your routine, get in your car, get on the road. You're probably taking the same way to work. Maybe sometimes you vary it up a little bit. But ultimately, like, you're going to get to work, okay? And probably arrive within the same time and, and distinguishing one trip from another trip to another trip to another trip, there's not going to be a lot of variation between that, you know. So that's a, that's a nonlinear system because every day is different that you do that, that commute to work, um, because of the cars around you, the temperature, the weather and things like that. So, um, but the dynamics of the Taurus are marked by self similarity, self similarity as a concept, um, you know, firms um, and entire societies it, it may be very similar day to day, year to year, generation to generation. Okay, so you know when you say year to year, generation generation, you know, like going to school as a as an elementary student, you know, it kind of fits into a Taurus. You know, you get up in the morning, school, the bells, you know, that you go to different classes, that you have lunch, you have recess, and things like that. It kind of falls within this Taurus again. Remember that horse is a bagel, so you can move within that bagel. You have some parameters with, you know, you can move within if you're trying to start at the top of the bagel, work your way through the bagel, back up to the top. So, no one embodiment in any given cycle or iteration of the behavior of any given system is precisely like a previous embodiment. So meaning like, what you do today, even if you tried to replicate it tomorrow as perfect as you can, you're not going to be able to do that because what's going to change? Well, the context and situation, weather is going to change a little bit, you've changed a little bit depending upon, even your energy level has changed fractional because of what you eat and what you have not the experiences you've learned today influence what you do tomorrow, all of those types of things, people you're going to interact with and things like that. So you can never have the same day twice. You cannot have the Groundhog's Day from um, what was it? The Bill Murray movie, which actually was never identically the same day twice. Um, there were some you know minor variations in that too, but but pretty close to it. You're not going to have the Groundhog's Day. So I talked about driving driving to work. I mean, when I drive to work, I'm, I'm operating within a Taurus most of the time, not a four Taurus. A Taurus has an T O R U S, meaning I have the same vehicle, I have the same route, you know. But there's different cars on the road every day. They're driving different speeds, different merging. Sometimes you have delays. However, ultimately, I arrive at work at the same time, you know, roughly every day. Um, and, and I could say, you know, generally like the drive pretty similar to the previous one, pretty similar. Now, chaos. Chaos would be something that changes my trip to work so drastically that all of a sudden it's removed from the Taurus. So you're not operating as a bagel or a center tube anymore. Something has happened so dramatically that you're outside of that. You're outside of that. Now you've entered chaos, okay? And that could be like an accident. It could be severe weather. It could be vehicle failure. So once you're in that now, that basin that you're in is no longer predictable. This basin is is... Um, is filled with chaos, and chaos will play out to where eventually you'll get some sort of stability. So if it is vehicle failure, um, you know, let's say the vehicle, the engine cuts out or something like that. Well, I mean, then there's a sequence you'd go through of calling for assistance or police would come by or whatever. Severe weather, you know, eventually that will, weather will pass. It might do some damage to the vehicle. Who knows? Hopefully, you know, there won't be any damage to you, you know, if you pull off to the side that you wouldn't be hit by anyone else. If you're in an accident, you know, if you are hurt in that chaotic situation, you know, there's gonna be medical care on scene to to transport you to uh the hospital and so forth. But but chaos brings you outside of that. So on nine eleven on nine eleven, um the chaotic events which everybody knew the moment that the Twin Towers had been hit. This isn't my Starbucks day. I'm not picking up my dry cleaning. Today It's going to be significantly significantly different for me. They realized that um, and consciously realized that. Not unconsciously, but consciously realized that. And that immediately changed um, their Taurus because their Taurus was now unpredictable. They were now in a chaos-based Taurus. So their basin was going to be... Um, they were delivered into a very chaotic situation that then they would have to work through. And chaos doesn't perpetuate forever. It does, you go into chaos, like what would happen when the Twin Towers were hit, also when they collapsed, and then eventually you work out of chaos. Once you're evacuated from the site, you know, once you get cleaned up, you get some food, um, you know, your life kind of falls more into a normal pattern. So, um, me, other examples so routine dynamics inside of a factory an office a hospital a school or a prison you know they have the characteristics of a torus so getting up in the morning you can probably pretty clearly um uh, map out how your day is going to be what you, what to expect um and you're going to be pretty close you're going to be within that that torus now again you know what your lunch is going to be. That's going to be different timing on some things might be different. Some some interference might happen, but largely you're going to stay within that that Taurus. You're going to bounce around within that Taurus, but it's going to move you from that start to that to that finish line. And I think what happens sometimes is people think of of being very linear, like a start point and a finish. Like how similar that every day is to the the next day, but actually it's not. Your days are very very different if you broke them down into you know actually like where you it, just think of that drive like you, know, you get in the vehicle you know the the information you've learned the day before what you have with you what you're wearing what the temperature of the vehicle is what the temperature is outside the visibility other vehicles around you what they're deciding to do the path of the traffic um what you're thinking all of these things i mean once you add these things in those are many many um variables that change your path within that torus, okay? It still keeps you out of chaos. It just keeps, you know, so we think, we think we're very rational beings. There's some arguments saying nobody's rational. Everybody's irrational and it's just the way that things are. Um, and not that rationality is bad, but, but just the reality is that rationality is false and rationality is true. Um, And I think the rationality of thinking, like, well, today was the same as yesterday or tomorrow is going to be the same as today. No, it cannot be. We objectively know it cannot be. So no two points in time can be identical. Um, So um, they are – so we talked about, you know, like my, my ride to work in the morning. So it's similar. And you get familiar with it, but it's never the exact day-to-day, and it never can be the exact day-to-day. And the wear and the tires. Tires have a little bit more wear. Highway has a little bit more wear, you know, whatever. So you always have these variables, which you've changed. So think of this, okay? Similarity replaces sameness. Okay, I'm going to slow this down a little bit. Similarity replaces sameness. We do not have sameness as human beings. We do not have sameness from one moment to to the next. We don't have it. We'll say that. We'll say that many times. This is the same day as this, or this is the same. Or we'll look at two things and we'll say, that is the same exact tractor as that one. Well, they're not. You could, you know, even if they're made by the same company and the same uh, people worked on them to make them the same machinery, um, and whatever, you could break down the materials in each, the tolerances, how much, you know, certain bolts were tightened and whatever, and you're going to find that there are variances, acceptable variances, but they're similar, okay? No two things are the same. No two things are the same. So that's important to make that, uh, to delineate those terms between similarity and sameness. So um, how many times do you hear people say it's the same thing day after day after day after day same thing, same thing. no, it's not. no, it's not. So even even in high tolerance manufacturing, uh, there are similarities between items but not sameness. So you might say like we have to have this to point zero 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 three five eight is. Is we've got to be, you know, within, within this tolerance of, you know, that to zero, 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 four, one, zero, you know, so just this, you know, these, these very minute, minute differences. We have to follow, you know, be within these tolerances and, and, uh, and you can do that, but you're still within these tolerances. It's not like you can create the same thing over and over and over again. It's like when they make coins, you know, when they make coins. Uh, they can stamp a coin, and the first time they stamp, you know, the, and the stamps are extremely durable, um, you know, the etch these and they stamp out the coins. Well, you know, the first, you know, 10,000 coins come out really crisp. The next 10,000, not quite as crisp, you know, and, and then it just degrades through that. And I don't know what, you know, but I, I remember watching a documentary where after you, you, you get to so much use of a die, that's it, the die you know, then the coins are coming out as crisp. You have, you have to replace and come up with a new die. And it's, it's that, that same thing of, of, you know, this quarter is not the same as this quarter because this quarter was struck with a little bit newer die and this one was struck with a die an hour, that same die an hour later. Um, so, you know, these things of, of tolerances, they date back to uh, the quality control experts such as W.E. Deming. We've probably heard a lot with Deming, and manufacturing and quality control, so we know we will have statistical variation, and there's the human side of that too. It's called inter reliability. How often do we get people together and and we want people all to understand things in the same way? So it, you know, if you're working in a company. Um, or even on a sports team or whatever, that everyone, you know, inter-radio reliability is going to do things the same way, that they've been trained that they're going to do do things the same way. And the reality is people aren't going to do things the same way. You you, you can get kind of an understanding. So let's say even right now as people are listening to this, and, again, you are not the typical audience, I appreciate you, you're intellectual, you seek this out, um, But your interpretation of the Taurus, even after I just went through the Taurus, is going to be a little bit different than someone else and because they have previous experiences um, and and they might already be thinking about the Taurus and thinking about their own commute to work. Hey, let's say you commute an hour and a half to work. That person commutes 10 minutes to work there in the city. You commute through some country stuff. So right there, you know, just those visual imagery start to change what that interpretation of the Taurus is. So, um, and the other part is... um, So you know, inter-rater reliability is good. We worked. um, I I work on that in classes I teach, where I try to take some terms um, such as mainstreaming, inclusion, tolerance, acceptance, and and at least have people understand what my interpretation of those terms are. So when we get into discussions, they can they they can assess my interpretation. They can introduce their own you know, bias their own life experience into their interpretation of that, but at least they know where I'm coming from on that. Um, so remember, you can never reproduce context and situation. This is, this is big also, you know, when I talk about work I do in legal, um, legal cases, but you can never reproduce context and situation. You know, like I went out biking um, last week. It was, you know, it was sunny. It was beautiful. It was a wonderful day. And the next day it rained. So, you know, I could have gone out, you know, 24 hours later, been out on the bike, um, done all of the, of the, the similar, similar things, you know, put the gloves on, probably wouldn't have put them on the same way and, you know, packed, packed similar, you know, amounts of, of water and, and things like that and gone out. But what would have changed? The, the context would have changed. It was raining. So no matter what I did, if I would have gone out the same distance, I think I did 44 miles that day. Uh, I would have gone out my 44 miles and come back. I would have been soaking wet. It would not have been the same trip, you know. So it's one of those things. Again, remember that you cannot reproduce context and situation. So if somebody, you know, um, you know says, I can do the same thing again, you might be able to do something similar again, but context and situation is, is very, uh, very significant. Um, he also, we, we have other factors, subjectiveness. Okay. Um, which, which comes into your previous experiences, your own biases, not that those are bad, but again, it's just that they're there and in your sense perception, meaning that how I interpret, if I'm outside and I can, smell, you know, my neighbor's cooking, uh, uh, you know, on the grill smells really good. But, you know, when my daughter smells, it smells even better because as you get older, your sense of smell isn't as keen as it is when you're younger. Um, and, you know, also, you know, what you see, what you feel, what temperature is, You, you know, what temperature means, you know, to one person, is it, is it warm? You know, someone who thinks it's it's cool and they're wearing a sweater and, and you think it's warm and you're out there in short sleeves. So it's that perception of the environment too, which brings forward the question that I posed earlier, are we all irrational? Is society, is life irrational? Meaning that we really have no means for rational measurement because as humans, we are taking things, taking information in through our senses and through the tools that we have created, which we know can never have perfect reliability um, over time. You know, like we can't produce one Model T that's going to be identical to the next Model T. They can be similar, they can't be identical. They can be very, very similar, they can't be identical. Um, and again, what changes over time? Um, especially for us. We are never the same day after day, moment after moment, because we've learned, we've acquired. Other things have happened to us, whether it's been good or bad. Um, It has changed us. So the question that I'm going to leave you with, and I'm not going to really answer this one. I think the answer is probably self-evident, but are we rational or are we irrational? So let's talk about the robber's cave experiment. Um, and, and we can, we can make the link, um, between what we just talked about with the Taurus self-similarity, um, and then also into the Robert's cave experiments. So remember that Taurus is, is saying every day is kind of the same thing that we can expect, you know, that more or less we're going to fall within in this, this same, um, we're, we're going to operate within the bagel. So. You know, we're going to function. We can go a little bit out to the crust of the bagel, but, you know, we're going to stay kind of within that bagel. We're going to make our circle. So we're inside that bagel. So uh, Mazufir Sharif was a social psychologist who, in the summer of 1954, um, worked on a study that was aimed to um, support his proposed theory known as realistic conflict theory, which accounts for group conflict, negative prejudices, and stereotypes as being the result of competition between groups for desired resources. Or in a nutshell, when the resources get scarce, um, people, especially will, people in groups, will turn against each other and, and diligently work to defend the scarce resources and the right to those resources important and relevant, um, because I'm going to make, make the reference to my book lessons of lower Manhattan as hundreds of thousands of people were evacuated from lower Manhattan, which is not an easy place to evacuate from battery park and, and that area. Not a lot of ports back in 2001. Um, so, I mean, you had boats coming up and, and having to lay over wooden planks so people could get on board. And, and, um, but anyway, hundreds of thousands of people orderly, cooperatively waiting for their opportunity to get on a boat to exit Lord Manhattan following the World Trade Center attacks. And again, 9 2001. So if we have this realistic conflict theory and you, it, it's surfacing, you know, where, where you, you can get together you're getting along with people and then all of a sudden resources become scarce. And in this case, in nine let's think about it. The resources would be the boats and being able to get off of lower Manhattan. Why wasn't there a mob? Why was? it? Why wasn't that chaos? Why didn't that just break out into a frenzy? And I talked about that with, you know, one of the reasons might be transference. And I think there's some other reasons that, that go into that. Um, you know, one also, um, being that that people do tend to follow, um, we did have very very much. Situa- we had a, a very skilled rescue force. Out of a hundred, I believe, thirty-four boats, four, fifty were tugs, which was predominant, thirty-seven percent. And I, I went back and I researched in two thousand and one what it took to be. Um, um a, a deckhand, more or less a worker on a tugboat, and, and then of course you get promoted after a few years or multiple years, you know, up into the captain role. But you have to take, you know, courses. You had to take courses today. You still have to. Um, it, it's rigorous training. You have to pass a Coast Guard examination. And then the harbor, you know, would get foggy. And in winter, there would be blizzards. It would be hard to navigate. So, like, tugboat captains would say, this is not an easy job at all. And then, of course, having to work together with other tugboats to navigate larger ships into the harbor um, and, and, you know, further up into the Hudson. So. Um, you had you you know this group of tugboat, um you know the the tugboats that were working on lower manhattan i think also helped uh, contribute to a very efficient rescue so i'll get into that but but i think it goes goes on both sides you know when when resources are scarce and the resources knowing that you know i want a place on a tugboat or somewhere else because i want to be out out of here you know, I'm having the, the ash, you know, the, the soot, you know, which is going over my head, you know, it's, it's all in my hair. It's all over my clothes. I'm breathing breathing it in. But yet, you know, you see this organized rescue before you and, and this, this transference, which I, which I talked about before. Um, and I think you can remain orderly in that situation. And you've also are now outside of your Taurus. You are clearly knowing that your day is completely outside of a routine Um, you are conscious of that and you know that it's going to have to follow a different basin. It's in a chaos basin. Chaos always works its way out of chaos. So you're in a chaos situation and you're going to work your your way out of chaos. So you recognize that right away. Um, what, you know, uh, on 9 11. So let's get back to this, this robber's cave experiment. Really fascinating stuff. Never would be allowed today. Okay. Be, would be deemed as unethical. Um, no university would approve this, but it was a field experiment involved two groups of 12-year-old boys at Robbers Cave State Park in Oklahoma. Twenty-two boys in the study all together. They were unknown to each other and all from white middle-class backgrounds. So can we generalize the sample? No, nope, we can't do it. We can't generalize it because they are all um, from middle-class um, white backgrounds, um, so we know we can't generalize it. We didn't have any females also in the study, but non- nonetheless, it's an interesting study. So let's talk about it some more. Um, so it had, it had phases. First phase, the, the boys were split up. They were randomly assigned to two groups and in, in they're in cor- encouraged to bond with their groups. They're doing activities of bonding activities, such as campfires, swimming, things like that. So you got to know your group. Now they did not know that the other group existed. So They were working each in their own groups, um, getting to know each other. Um, And one group uh, named themselves. They came up with their own names. One was the Eagles and the others, uh, the other group was the Rattlers. And then they created um, some logos and and they had um, that on their t-shirts and also um, on their flags. Okay. So the first phase was getting getting them acclimated to each other so that they got to know each other and bond with each other. The second phase was a competition phase where all of a sudden the two groups were introduced to each other. Here is the Eagles. Hey, here's the Rathers. And they were put into um, a competitive stage. So where friction was going to grow between these groups. And this was going to happen for four to six days. So So you take these two groups and you have them play baseball games of tug of war the winners were very graciously awarded. Cumulative scores were kept. Um, so ultimately, like who, which group had the most points? Um, you know, one group, if they, they won, they were allowed to go to supper. Um, and, and then the second group, you know, that wasn't the winner, by the time they got to supper, everything was gone. So there were hard feelings there. But it was all designed to, to have it play out that way. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Meatballs with Bill Murray from the late 70s. It kind of reminded me of this, a little bit of that, this, uh, um, you know, this, this study where you had, uh, Camp North Star, which was more of the economy summer camp. And then you had Camp Mohawk, which was the elite camp. Now it wasn't broken down kind of like that, but it did pit, you know, definitely these two, these uh, two groups against each other. So, um, the Rattlers, um, so the Rattlers were named the overall winners that they had the overall point total. And then they portrayed themselves as being very confident after the absolute confidence. They kind of took over the playing field. Um, they planted their flag on the mound and, and they started to threaten the Eagles. Okay. Remember you had this other group, the Eagles. They're kind of used verbal threats and just kind of some taunts and just saying, you know, don't mess with it, don't mess with us, don't mess with their flag, don't mess with their territory, or number one stuff like that. Okay, um, the prejudice increased from name calling to physical altercations. The Eagles burned the Rattlers' flag, and then the Rattlers ransacked the Eagles' cabin and stole private property. Okay, again, remember the Rattlers won. They take over this ball line and they plant their flag, and they're kind of taunting the eagles. The eagles are like, we're not having any part of this. Okay, so the eagles then go and take the Rattlers' flag and burn it. But then the Rattlers uh, get even by ransacking the eagles' cabin, stealing private property, things that would have never happened a week prior. But we're talking about... There's this fierce competition going on. And now there's this competition. There's a sense of resources. Like it's not only the praise that people are getting, but it's like resources. Um, they're getting rewards, but they're also getting food. So like if you don't win, you might not even get your supper. So it is, it is this competition for re, uh, resources. And I think also this bravado that comes in here of, of this praise for, for winning and this glorifying of winning. So, um, eventually what happened was the groups had to be they became so aggressive toward each other that they had to be separated okay and the researchers had to separate them so um, the the study confirmed um, the researchers realistic conflict th- uh, theory uh, Sharif is realistic conflict theory uh, meaning that once uh, you know people could work together um and, and work together well and collaborate and cooperate. But what would happen is once resources became scarce, um, people kind of get off into their own groups. Now we see this in modern day, like, you know, the TV shows, you know, who's going to get voted off the island and, and, and stuff like that, you know, and that's all dramatized and things like this. Um, in this case, you know, these, these boys, uh, had no idea they were part of an experiment and this just all kind of naturally, um, developed. What I find fascinating from this um, is that this is not what happened at 9-11 at the rescue. Um, you know, you didn't have people pushing toward the front of the line. And, and again, you know, you had a very pressuresome context and situation. You know, you literally had, you know, just this this heavy soot, you know, coming out toward the harbor. So when people would get on the boats to be rescued and go out into the harbor, the boats would actually list to whatever side would be the better view back on to lower Manhattan. So people could see what was going on, you know, at, back at the site of, you know, nine eleven and, and the financial district. Um, so, so just some, some fascinating, fascinating stuff because, there's, you know, there are other studies with, with adults saying that you know there is this, this grace period of about three days <laughs> that if, if you know you kind of have societal stress, um, something happens, you know maybe um, you know the uh, a tornado goes through, wipes out some of the resources in an area, maybe wipes out you know that you don't have um, you know water, some other things that there there is this this cooperation. That, that kind of surfaces for about three days and then that kind of fades after that. Um, and just, just very interesting. So the rescue at 9-11, part of, there's so many things people ask about that when, when I, when I do interviews. And I said, well, a few, a few things obviously contributed to the 9-11 boat rescue of 500,000 people in nine hours, which was remarkable because I think Dunkirk, it was fewer people. Took like nine days to do. More organized. I was a military plus civilian rescue, but definitely more organized. Um, so, what were some of the factors? Well, one is it was daytime and it was sunny, so you could see. The harbor was relatively calm. Uh, you had that going for you. It was September, so you didn't have a lot of tourists. Okay, and the weather was was pretty decent. I mean, as far as it wasn't too hot, it wasn't too cold. So you had a lot of things that actually worked in favor contextually for the rescue. So imagine that that same attack, you know, occurs and it is, you know, in winter. um, And so, you know, it's going to get dark earlier. People are not going to be able to see out in the harbor. You're not going to have as efficient um, rescue in the harbor because the boats aren't going to be able to go, as fast across the harbor. It's going to be cold. People are going to need clothing. All of these factors that weren't there, or if it would have been raining on that day and so forth. Um, It did rain several days after 9-11. So um, a lot of the rescue had to do with that, plus the fact that you did have a very highly trained rescue crew that responded. Um, and, and, And this isn't mentioned in documentaries. So there are 100, I think there were 146 boats um that are documented to participate in the rescue. And of that again, fifty were tugs, thirty-seven percent the majority. Uh but documentaries focus kind of more on, you know, if somebody was the captain of a, a fishing boat or something like that. You know, none heroic nonetheless. But actually the majority of boats that responded were very versed in the harbor and these are they're very versed in Chaotic situations. Um, and you also have, um, a, a, it's called the harbor pilots and they were in existence for 300 years and, and their purpose was to help ships get in and out of the harbor. And I think there were 10 of those boats that were available that day. So it wasn't this novice hodgepodge group thrown together that one would assume. Okay. And that's what the articles. Um, that's what some of the documentaries tend to portray out of nine eleven, but it really wasn't that. Um, it was a much more highly skilled um, group of people. And also these tugs, you know, there was already this sense of symmetry reliability. You did have a quick hierarchy, hierarchy um, establish, you know, like an instant command system when Commander Loy of the Coast Guard said, People do whatever you have to do to get this rescue going. Um, so you did have kind of an instant command system. It was loose, but you did have this order from the top. So it, it wasn't this horizontal structure. So, um, but some interesting stuff. So anyway, let's let's go back and, and let's just kind of review some of the things that we talked about today before we we wrap up this this show. Um, and get into some sponsors and some thank yous and some updates that we're going to be doing here on the show. So um, we I want to go back over the terms. Think of Taurus. So a Taurus, um, some real-world examples would be like an inner tube or a bagel. So think of this, this circular thing, but it's three-dimensional, okay? It's not a line. It's three-dimensional. If you're inside of this bagel, this inner tube, You can go, you know, left, right, up, down, faster, I mean, things. And and you're going to stay largely within that. That's going to be your your day-to-day similar routine. When something so extreme happens that it knocks you out of that, so you're no longer a part of that, you're outside of that, Um, then chaos has ensued. It's set in. And now you're dealing through a chaotic situation you're not dealing with this known basin or basin is just outcome. Okay. So like if, if you're going to work every day and you're, you're in this Taurus, you know, with different cars on the highway, different speeds, all these different variables, well, generally, you know what? It's going to be 735 and you're going to be at work or 740. I mean, you're going to be there. So, um, But, you know, when chaos comes in, it's not predictable anymore. But chaos does have a way of of working its way out, and things come out of chaos. You know, once resources get unseen and things typically only last for so long in a chaotic state. Um, So we have that Taurus. So think about that Taurus. Again, you function within that Taurus. Not your Ford Taurus, not the thoughts of your Ford Taurus, not my friend in college that had a Ford Taurus that wouldn't start in winter, had a jump started a few times. Um, T-O-R-U-S, just meaning that your day is going to be similar probably to the next day and similar to the next day. Um, So you have that similarity, but there is not sameness. We do not have sameness. We cannot achieve sameness. We do, do not have the technology to achieve sameness. Um, and, and even if we did, we cannot say that this notebook right here, for those of you watching in the video, is the same as the other notebook because they each have a little bit of different composite. If we were to go and break down what it actually consists of the notebook, um, the inks might have been put on at different steps in the process. So one ink might be just a tad Bit thicker than the other ink on there and so forth. The humidity because the lower one might not be as humid as the top one. Just all of those things. Okay. But what do we hear? What do we hear all the time? It's the same. It's the same. And think about life. And as people say things, things are very similar. The other part I want to stress to you is that it's fine to operate within a Taurus. You do not need to get this down to where you're operating in this linear where you're trying to ratchet things down to to these tolerances of your life which are completely unrealistic. And you have to be also uh, very aware, and this is where sense-making comes in with Dr. Carl Weick out of University of Michigan, and I'm going to um, get more information on him. Of I, I know my question now for him. I've thought about this for a while, but it's how does, how does the Taurus, how do you identify um, when sense-making, when the situation has changed, So much that you're 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 no longer functioning within your Taurus. That's not easy, okay? Because it's it's actually not it's not easy Uh, for military pilots. One of the hardest things is to detect subtle changes. Overt changes, if you throw something very wild into a scenario, easily detectable, and and there's a response to it. Um, But it's these very subtle changes that, that do cause issues. So it's, it's the things that, um, we don't pay attention to because they function within that Taurus and we generally know things are going to come back online. Again, on September 11, 2001, Amanda Ripley's book, she interviewed hundreds of survivors from the Twin Towers and, and a number of them said, you know, I stayed at my desk for four minutes. I was kind of just gathering stuff up and whatever and just kind of waiting around. Why? Because when they would run the drills, the fire drills, it run for about four minutes. Some people would gather kind of in that the commons area, you know, the waiting area outside the elevators or the stairs, and then they'd wait four minutes and the little thing would sound saying drills over. So, you know, it was kind of that they weren't believing this was happening because um, this had not yet gone outside of their torus. They were still functioning within this kind of torus um, in that case. So, um, and then... Self similarity. Self similarity is a concept. Um you know, with firms, with entire societies, you know, again, things are similar day to day year to your self-similarity. Meaning if you get up tomorrow, you go to the grocery store, going down the aisles, it's gonna be pretty similar. You know where the carts are, you know the process, you know how the checkout works. Um pretty similar. It's gonna be pretty similar the way you get around, um, pretty similar if you go to Someplace that You know, I go to the go-kart track. I, I know they take the tickets. You get in. You're going to go on the track for a while. They're going to wave you off. I mean, the things are going to be pretty similar, that your food is going to be pretty similar, stuff like that, and generation to generation. You know that you're going to be going to school. Um, Transportation is going to be pretty similar. Voting is going to be pretty similar. Now, you know, we do have variations within society. Chaos comes in and out, but you do have these general similarities. So... Um, just to, to reiterate on those. So I, I, I want to thank all of you again. You are exceptional listeners. This show is available on YouTube. Those of you watching it right now, I'm kind of leaning forward into the mic. I am getting a boom arm. The microphone is going to be elevated and closer to my mouth. So I'm going to be able to be back a little bit in the chair that will be coming in soon and want to thank, um, the supporters of the show, the 405 media out of Los Angeles, California, John Grant, and the 405 Media. Thank you very much for airing this show daily, 2 o'clock p.m. PST. Also, thank you to Sprigio um, out of Santa Barbara, S-P-R-I-G-E-O.com, the nation's leader in bullying, harassment, and threat reporting software for schools. ISS 24-7, ISS247.com, keeping large venues safe through instant um, management systems. A lot of them are app-based, very um, elaborate, but with an incredible um, user interface, very easy to use, just with uh, basically images, uh, very efficient. Um, number of your NFL stadiums, you know, that might see 80,000 people, uh, NFL, you know, the NFL stadiums, NCAA arenas, shopping malls, population dense areas uh, doing their work to keep those areas safe ISS 24-7. And also a phonics. Um, a U P H O N I C. There's no S at the end, so it's a phonic. Um, a phonic has a leveler program. Which is very useful for podcasters or anyone wanting to produce anything. It's going to be an audio that you do have a, a standard volume level. And actually believe it or not, there is a standard volume level for podcasting and for radio. Um, it was something I was not aware of, but there is a standard level and Alphonic can get your work to that standard level. Of course you want to have the best equipment and the best procedures for recording coming into that. Um, but, uh, if you, uh it has a wonderful user interface basically you drag the file over put it in process it It comes out um and is tagged with a phonic on the end so it's easy to find the file uh, once it has been um improved enhanced greatly um so aphonic a u p h o n i c dot com aphonic.com and just again wanting to let you know you can subscribe to this show on YouTube so you can see me. It is on iTunes. Please re- leave a review on iTunes if you give it a listen. We are now, this is number 33 for our podcast. Um, and it is also on SoundCloud and on the Podmosphere. So on SoundCloud, it's easy. You can go in and get the MP3. That's really nice to be able to do. Um, I am on a number of different um, shows now uh readily random is the one I'll be interviewed on uh Monday night. Uh but do have others coming up. Um and am fortunate to now uh, with a growing audience subscribe on Twitter at SafetyPht. Please consider subscribing on Twitter at SafetyPht and you'll be able to get updates. Um I I do post a lot of um original content, you know blog posts and things like that too. I remove the Rhetoric from Safety, everybody. I remove the Rhetoric from Safety and give you exactly what you need to know. And you leave these shows, hopefully, with some new information that you're sharing with people. And they're like, hey, where'd you learn about the Taurus? What's that all about? And self-similarity, it's like, I got that from the Safety Doc Podcast. So, yeah, come back. Make sure you subscribe, check in. I do uh, have a number of guests on the show. So probably about half the show is interviews. Um, Just, you know, we had Aaron Clary last week. Um, He has published several, you know, several books, um, Very Astute Economist. And we have, um, you know, more interviews coming up. I also, again, will be interviewing a commercial drone operator um, very soon. And he's going to talk about, I mean, just amazing things that, that I didn't know about drones. And, and then also how drones can be used uh, for safety. And, you know, we will continue to evolve this show to look at agency and purpose along with physical environment safety and cyberspace safety. So, again...